Swordfish. It was like awful. No, I love Swordfish. That oh, was I know one. that movie. <laughs> I love. Are you kidding Swordfish. me? Was, so, 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 I was so embarrassed. Should I save this stuff for the podcast? No, we're recording. This is in the podcast. Oh, geez. Oh, I didn't realize we started. This, this is, is it. it. No, so I'll I'll tell you. But like, so so I was at McAfee at the time, and we actually had the bus branded, the bus in this in the movie. And if you look really carefully, you can see it under because they painted over it. We paid a lot of money to have that bus branded, and I, I hope I don't get in trouble for this. But apparently, they can just pull that at any time. But they would call me up and say, "Give me technical words," and I'd be like, "I don't know, firewall and you know, antivirus." And then when I saw how they used it, I was yeah. worried for my career because I didn't know the movie was going to be a smash hit or even who was in it at the time, and. That's yeah. so funny. I think uh, of that. Dude, that's like incredible. Career. I'm going to be like so screwed if my name is associated with, with a movie that gets, you know, like when they say, oh, uh, they got past the firewall and you're sitting in the audience yeah, going, that's yeah, not yeah. a firewall. Yeah. Like, uh, really? Uh, it was one of those. But yeah. We the got the mainframe. Quote, so unquote, unquote, Sam Curry. We got the mainframe. <laughs> like, really? Like, uh, I used to be a mainframe product manager and I usually don't tell people that, but now people are going to make fun of me who know that, you know? And then, but the, the one I'm, that I'm actually an IMDb for is uh, Rare Reason of the Connected World. And that is, um, it, was at, I, it was at Sundance. And it says playing self. So that I'm in there as me. I would have tried someone yeah, else, but I don't know how to do that. So What? So on, yeah. You should splice in a cut yeah. right now right there. of Sam. <clears throat> of How long you but, in the movie? Oh, it's, it's, he took a lot of footage over two days. And he said he was going to use it for other things. But like... I don't want to sound like super, I, I'll tell you anyway. So I was like, I was writing in my notebook. I used to write with a, with an alphabet that I used for myself, which was to write from Greek and I used to write backwards because I didn't want people to know how bored I was in meetings and I would like write stuff. And he yeah, saw yeah. it and he's a classic scholar. So we just started talking and we talked for two days. The man is fascinating and we still talk, well, we haven't for a couple of years, but we, until quite recently, we still talked about classical languages. He's into everything. Like everything, everything. And we talked about how culture and AI in particular was going to impact how we live. And it's it's all actually coming true, stuff we talked about in 2014. But he was a fascinating man. And like I see him every now and then I'm like, I know him. That's really cool. But yeah. Well I'm uh, gonna say that about you now. When yeah, I right. put you up on, <laughs> in two degrees. On two degrees. Yeah. In, that uh, puts you two degrees from the Mandalorian now. So yeah, there's that. because uh, he was in that. I was I watching, I, I'm like, Oh, I forgot he was in this. Yeah. I don't know how you're embarrassed by the swordfish thing. Yeah, I don't know why you're embarrassed by that. That's like amazing. Like you got to like cast yourself back to 2000, I think it was 2002 and like, and and be like, I was fairly junior. I was chief security architect for network associates, but I I was in the dot-com division. I ran product and you got to think cyber was much smaller and I would have to be worried about my reputation as a security expert. And somebody goes, man, that guy does not know his, he just doesn't know his shit. Like, if, and I was like, career versus movie. And I'm like, well, I'm not an actor. So, yeah. That happened. But it was really, I, they, they didn't ask star, me because I was right? special. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. But they didn't ask me because I was special. Yeah, they asked dude, me because the company was sick. doing product placement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would lead with that. If I had anything to do with <laughs> I would, no matter whatever interaction, like if the plumber came over, I would lead with my part in so- the swordfish. My wife was on Say Yes to the Dress. She was on a show, right? So she, wow. I, I usually lead with that because she's, no, yeah. she's cooler than me. Yeah, she's way cooler than me. But hey, we shouldn't be talking about me. You're the guest and we should. We're All right, off. yeah, let's, let's like, do the intro role. And then... Well, after that, I don't know. Like. <laughs> 
Welcome to On The Hook, the security podcast you actually want to listen to with stories from hackers, security pros, information warfare specialists, and privacy experts. Sam, you're up. Yeah. Hi, my name is Sam Curry. I'm uh, Chief Information Security Officer at Zscaler. I used to work with Jacob and we just really like hanging out and, and talking together. I'm also a visiting fellow, actually a fellow now at the National Security Institute and looking super, uh, looking to having a super amount of fun uh, with our guest and moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm Jacob, I, uh, field CISO at Clumio and over to John. I'm John Dwyer. I'm the head of research at uh, IBM Security, X-Force. X-Force, which, which is, how is that different from IBM security? It used to be ISS, ISS right? right. That was it used to be ISS. He knows his history. Yeah. So there yeah. was a company that they acquired and one of their products was called X-Force and then just became branded the whole thing. 2006, um, seven, seven? Something like that. Before, yeah, we nearly, you know. we nearly acquired, uh, we nearly acquired ISS when I was at Computer Associates, but uh, IBM beats the punch. Yeah. I was just actually in, uh, when I was in Austin, I found like an old push cart, like a, a data center cart that had ISS yeah. written on it. You take it home? Nice. It's the prevention cart. It's a it relic. The, like, what was it? <laughs> Some uh, things uh, persist, right? Crash carts persist over time. That was one of the things. Yeah, they probably used that to get all the Preventia appliances around. What was the other brand name? It was like real something. Anyway, yeah. I should save that for my shrink. But yeah, I used to know, I used to love the ID, the IDS stuff, and then they went all IPS, right? Intrusion prevention. Yeah. 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 So how much of the X-Force team from those days is still there? Is it is it is it a lot of old, a lot of the people who've been in it for like 16, 17 years? Or is it, is it no. younger team now? Younger. I mean, like, I think a lot of the folks that came over through that acquisition have who have st stayed around or more at, in the higher levels of IBM security now, you know, kind of just out of X-Force. I, I might, I mean, I've been in, I've been at X-Force for s going on six years and I feel like I'm, I have one of the longest tenures in there. So it, it relatively new, you know, but I think it was That's not a bad 20... thing. I mean, the, there's a lot of mobility in our industry anyway. Staying six years is, a, is an eternity almost in our industry. It I, yeah. Before that, I mean, I had bounced around all kind of different things. And, and, you know, it's been a really great opportunity to me. And they started in 2017 with like revitalizing. They wanted to invest in these new areas of cybersecurity. And when I came right. on board and then I've been able to just kind of like bounce around the things that I'm interested in. How did you so, how did you get into research? What what made you say yeah. this is this is oh, the thing to do? Or, or did you have a moment like that? Was it like, oh, I guess I'm here now? Uh, yeah. So the that's a great question, and uh, it's a it's a long story. But so when I I went to graduate school for, and this was back you know, ten ten years ago, and um. And I went to school at that time, like an information security or cybersecurity. This was like when it was first starting, right? So I got out of that. And before that, I've been doing enterprise architecture stuff. So build and manage Active Directory. and The IT side of the things. house, not security. IT. But, but like away and, from cyber. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I went to school, went to grad school for it and graduated. And I was like, this I, this is, I know that I want to be in this space, but there's like 11,000 different domains in cybersecurity. I have no idea what I wanted to do. Um, so I started, you know, doing engineering for a forensics lab 
at uh, MIT, and that kind of pivoted me, pivoted into cybersecurity. So I was still doing IT, but it was like I got hands-on experience with cybersecurity from a digital forensics point of view. MIT in Boston, or was it like with the Lincoln Labs partnership? It was Lincoln Labs, right, uh, which was – Up by Hanscom, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's on Hanscom Air Force Base. Yeah. And that's how I got into research is that I started, you know, just through the connections that I built there. People were like, wow, you know what we have? Why don't we come over? Like you have this unique kind of skill set where you understand the IT piece, you understand the security piece. And I think we could really find a role for you in the defensive cyber operations research division. I did that for a long time. And so through that, we would help develop tools for the warfighter because like how do you like we used to say like how do you extend incident response or threat hunting to the tactical edge right so if you have mm, some right, e5 right. in the middle of afghanistan with basically no it no technology like, experience no technology how do you extend cybersecurity in in incident response to that to that laptop right right and through that process, I loved that job. Like that, I, you know, I love my job right now, but like in terms of like rewarding jobs that I ever had, like that, that's it. Cause felt I felt like I got, right? felt impactful. I got to know the, the cyber protection teams out of the army really well. I got to, I like actually talk to the people. But the, what I realized is that uh, us in R and D and academia is like in talking with the warfighter, I was like, we're trying to solve problem 962 the warfighters on problem four right and so like we're coming up with all these like solutions in our little like laboratory here and you know they're rubbing two sticks together on the other side and this and i was like i i want to do this work i think you know cybersecurity research and development is what i want to do for the rest of my life but i'm i can't do that disconnect anymore. So I have, I was like, I'm going to, I told myself, I was like, I got to go do the job before I can research. I got to go do the job, which is when I pivoted to X-Force to do incident response and threat hunting. And I did that for, you know, four and a half, almost five years before I was like, okay, I got it. And I was building tools for X-Force and I was like, I'm ready to now go right back into that and then start building. Yeah. Into that research development and start building tools and services for are the consultants now in that same kind of manner that I was before. But now I actually know what goes into it and like yeah, yeah, what yeah. they actually need actually living that life, you know? So that's, that was my stories. Like I just kind of like circled back and I was like, you know what, I, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it right. So let's just hop into the trenches, so to speak. And are there any projects yeah, that you worked on that are declassified that you can talk about? Or is everything that you did at Lincoln labs on the classified side? Yeah, everything. I can't really talk about it, um, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. But there's very similar sort of work that I did at IBM that we can talk about. That uh, is kind of like right in that same avenue because obvious. I mean, the problems that the problems of a global consulting firm aren't all that different from a global military operation. Really, I'm just going to assume you built space lasers that. Oh God! Do you know what we used to? We used to go to these. They had these things called lab talks, right? And they were for any division out there. So Lincoln does research in like four, fourteen, fifteen different areas, right? And see people like microbiology or or tracking near Earth orbit objects. And so I'd go to these lab talks, and I would sit there, and it was like, like a 
drinking a fire hose of imposter syndrome because I was like, <laughs> everyone in this room is so smart. And I'm sitting there Googling words. I was like, I don't, I don't know what that word means. That word like I know, I know he's speaking English, right? And I know that. But the words yeah. that are coming out of his mouth, so I, I, I don't gave understand. One of those. I gave one of those in 2013 about At the like RSA breach. Yep, yep, uh, about the RSA breach because yeah. it was. Oh no, kidding! I was afterwards. I was there then. I don't think I yeah. got to see your talk though. But I was. Yeah, I was at Lincoln. Yeah, it was in the big I auditorium. And yeah, they gave me uh, they gave me a unit coin for it because I stood up there for like three hours talking at a whiteboard. Yeah, That's cool. Yeah, and they're big was, on uh, coins. And I remember that, and I still have it. I would if it, if I wasn't worried about yanking out my headset or creating microphone noise, I'd go get it and bring well, it to the camera. But on another episode, we'll have to do that. I got. I'll, I'll bring it on another episode. But yeah. it, it was it was memorable because the actually I, I think everybody gets us uh, imposter syndrome. I I get it. I'm sure Jacob gets it. Oh, but every um, everybody in the audience had great questions, like really great questions. And and I'd gave I'd given whiteboard talks on this subject for forever right because afterwards I, I called it the apology tour right i was a chief apology officer and, and but but i had questions and i got questions in that room i didn't get elsewhere people were really thinking about what i was saying and then interacting it with, and that made it more fun but yeah, yeah i'm exactly. sure everybody in the audience was thinking the same thing and i'm standing in the front right. thinking the same thing like what the heck am i doing here so yeah this is what we all get how rare is it that you actually have an audience that processes something and then has an intelligent response back to what you're saying in a presentation, just across the board at any presentation, right? I mean, I imagine you you get the same thing, John. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say yeah, it's very exciting when that happens. You know, to get any question sometimes, yeah. to get any sort of engagement sometimes you don't get those, but uh, to get questions where I have, like the first time I've ever heard a question, or to to get a question that makes me rethink my own thoughts on things. Right. Like I've never thought about something the same way, and which is. I think my only my best quality is that I um, I don't have any wedge issues within myself. Like I can always consider someone else's point of view, and I'm yeah. I you know presented with new data, like I will change my opinion on things because I know that deep down, like I feel like I'm a dumb person, right? So like I know that I don't know everything, which is my best quality. I think. It's, By the way, that is that, that is the hallmark of intelligent people. Yeah. People who aren't that smart think they're smart. Like it's it's totally counterintuitive, and of course you won't believe me, and of course you still have imposter syndrome because I I do the same thing. We all do it. It's true though, and actually it takes empathy to make a cloud mm -hmm. to make a cloud crowd lean in. Um, you know who's great at this is Ed Davis, who was the former police commissioner for Boston during the Boston Marathon bombing. Yeah. So oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I did I did my graduate work in counterterrorism during COVID. I was like this just fascinated me. And um, I now teach at the undergrad level and I had him come talk to my class and everybody listens because his heart is in it when he speaks. And w when you can actually relate to a person in front of you and then do the same thing with an audience, it's, em it's empathy from the speaker. It's, it's deep care. And it's genuine too. It's not. Yeah, and I think that's what you were talking about a bit, John, right? Yeah. It's this yeah. connection you have with the people across from you. It's not just a speech. Yeah, absolutely. That reminds me of like my favorite class that I've ever taken in my life about the empathy piece and connecting with people, why it's so important right. in everyone's job. So I took this class that was called Acting for Managers, right? And uh, what a fantastically like, and very, very Carnegie Mellon type mindset there is like thinking outside the box thing, but you would 
So the, it was a management class that would basically teach you how to be an effective manager. But it was like, pra- there was like the, the theory part and then there was practical end of the semester. And every week they would take some of the kids from the theater department and you would go into the theater as a manager and they would present you as the manager of the most ridiculous situations you could ever imagine. And you are live on stage with your employees and they're like hashing out like relationships in the office or like who the stinky person in the office is and how do you broach, how do you navigate that as a manager, but to, yeah. to actually think about, you know, what does it actually be to man manager or not? It's not that like draconian, like follow the rules, but like being that people manager and the, 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 the stinky person in the office is the example that stuck with me. It'll stick with me for the rest of my life. Um, and I did that one and, and the, the teacher at the end, you know, I had talked about, you know, just like sensitively bringing it up, like, but effectively at the end of the day saying like, dude, you need to shower right now. Yeah. What, what we learned at the end was, you know, the backstory of this character is that he was going through a divorce and his wife had kicked him out of the out of his house. They were stretched thin because their kids had medical problems on finances. So he's living out of his car. And he's like, had you got to that point of his story, like that's an, them something a great manager would do because the manager would help them out. And be like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to front you some some cash or like hey we have gyms at the at the office or something along those lines and that's what that's what being an effective manager is is to get out of like just trying to keep the office humming along as as without issues is to actually those managers that connect with people and actually try to elevate them in and outside of the office are the ones those are the leaders that you're going to want to follow so you can't you can't go ahead jacob I was going to say, do you think it's systemic in, in cybersecurity where there's a lack of that because there's so much focus on just technical right, finding the right answer? I, I don't know. I don't have an opinion one way or another. I'm just curious. I think – I don't know if there's – I don't know if it's systemic, right? Because I've met some really fantastic people who have the technical skills. I mean, Sam, you're, you're a great example of this. You, you know just about a little of everything, plus you wrote Swordfish, so – <laughs> I don't know what other street cred. No, you I just gave him bad you words know. here and there. Like that, like, well, you know, like that's not writing. That's, yeah, yeah I, I heard you wrote the entire script. That's what I heard. It's not true. Yeah, no. but you know, mm-hmm. even if you hear something that you don't agree with, I, I think you do a, a fantastic job of processing it and seeing the other other person's point of view. Now, I do think that I have run across a lot of folks in security who it is there's like dead fast. It's like black or white, right? And this this. The Fifty yeah. Shades of Grey in cybersecurity is is something that we need to. I you know I kind of see this from uh, dealing with, and I think it might actually be a symptom of the pressures put on security folks. Mm. Is that um, in talking to like CISO level people or CSOs? I can remember when I did my first tabletop exercise for a company and presented this scenario. Right. And it was just nothing like that would never happen here. We have it solved. Like there's no, there's no way you could ever, you know, you will never steal data from here because we have DLP or something like that. First of all, it's like anyone who's ever done DLP ever Um, knows that it's, it's, it's so impossibly hard to manage anyways, but okay. So like there was always this like, nope, 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 like just fighting every kind of situation. And I think the problem is, is that is a symptom of 
there's so much pressure to be right 100% of the time. And that's happening from just like corporate policy. So I don't like, I don't understand, mm-hmm. like, how do we change that sort of like thinking that it's like, hey, if nothing else, if we have not learned anything else over the last five years is that mistakes yeah. happen, right? And people are going to mm-hmm. make mistakes. And it doesn't mean they're dumb or bad at their jobs, but let's like chill a little bit and actually think about what we're going to do to in response to the mistakes that happen. By, by the way, I, I totally agree with you there, but I think I think we also crave human connection. Maybe also when mm-hmm. we're maybe also when we're behind the Zoom screen a lot or, or mm. Teams or whatever, and uh, we wear a mask. And I think it's especially true of people who've come out through formal organizations and control hierarchies like the military often. Mm. There's a, you, you put on your, your game face, you put on your manager mask, you put on your CISO mask. And what I found is once you get through it, generally speaking, people are hungry for the human connection. And I mean hungry. And, yeah. and so the more you're your true self, um, and I don't mean like you just like, you know, turn up and, and act like a weirdo, but the more your true self comes out, the more people respond to it. It's sincere, right? And actually it's yeah, one yeah. of the basis for this podcast. One of the reasons we're doing it is we put ourselves out there and who we really are and we want to meet who other people really are. And I think people will gravitate to that. Yeah, um, so, yeah. But I, I think I think it's it's hard to break through that. And the, and the consequence of it is, is, people often burn out and they turn to substance abuse. And in fact, mm-hmm. um, uh, right. there is, there, right. there is actually, there are actually a number of support groups about mental health and, and hygiene. I think hygiene is the wrong word, but sanity, I guess, uh, in our profession, because it's incredibly taxing to be always wearing a mask and always under pressure and anxiety. And, you know, we do, we do, we are, you use the term warfighter, but we are cyber fighters all the time. And sometimes yeah. we're fighting our businesses to do stuff. So, I think there's some of that in it too. For sure. There's a lot. Yeah. I have to take a break. Like I, I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn in terms of like posting and same with Twitter. I po- I try to post a lot of stuff, but right. I can't consume it because yeah. the more I consume, like it just, I, I go down that spiral. It's like, it seems like everyone else in the world is just crushing it at, like every single day. And I'm like, yeah, I know that that's not true. I know that that's not true, but it's really easy for me to fall down that negative mindset to say like, why is everyone else so much better at everything than me? You know? It's yeah. A, you know, my, I was talking to someone difficult. about children there. Go ahead, Jacob. Yeah. I was gonna say it's particularly difficult in cybersecurity where there's this ideal of what a technical perfect cybersecurity person looks like, right? And I think mm. a lot of people build that up in their head and it has to go back to that, I must succeed at like being the best person. And if you're not the best at XYZ, you don't know how to reverse engineer a go binary, whatever the yeah. skill might be, you're <laughs> not the best. Um, and if you're not the best, then you suck. I think that is an attitude that a lot of people in cybersecurity have. Typically not people that make it very far up the ladder, but when you think about overall industry, there's less managers and there's less leaders than there is individual contributors. And I see that in the individual contributor layer very, very often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, same, yeah, the, the other thing to realize too, right? is, you know, I, I, it's just that the higher you go or not even higher, the longer you're in what we do, the deeper you go into cyber is maybe the better way to put it. Yeah. The more you you come to realize that some of your expertises will fade over time. And you can't do everything. Like mm-hmm. I look at my resume and go, man, if I was as good as all this, I wouldn't be as good as me. And I'm not like, because some of the stuff I've done is decade ago or two decades ago. 
and we have to, I think people like to connect with the human being behind those resumes or behind the LinkedIn post. Um, and when you actually see the real person, so, so my brother's in cyber. And by the way, whenever we, whenever I post something and he comments or vice versa, people seem to really like it because they see a family connection as opposed to a right. veneer. Yeah. I think that's it, Jacob. But if it annoys you, I'd hope you'd tell me. But yeah. <laughs> uh, but but I, I think it's this this facade we've got to break through. And and you mentioned you mentioned tabletops. I think when people do tabletops. You, you see the real person under pressure, under stress. I, they're almost bonding experiences. So you're not yeah. only learning how to get better at what you do, you're learning you need intimacy to have trust and you, you yeah, need to know right. the other people as well as everything else, you know, credibility, reliability. My take is that when you're when you're acting, some of it's real and then you, you stop acting and your true self comes out to some degree. And uh, do you do tabletops a lot then? Because you brought it up earlier. Is it? No, I did. Do, do you like when, that part? Oh, I love tabletop exercises. That was a, my favorite. Like, I, I would say looking back when I first got into the game. So like when I first came over to IBM and I was just being a consultant, right? I loved, you know, I think I fought tabletops because I thought they weren't technical enough and I just wanted to, to do IR. That's it. I just want to do threat hunting and IR. And then as I got more comfortable with doing that stuff, I was like, you know what? I think I, I find more rewarding those tabletop exercises because I feel like you actually get to move the needle from an organization at the end of the day. And, you know, I had one of my clients um, in Vancouver, like we threw those tabletop exercises, we just became like friends. Like, that was like a really good relationship that was built out of doing tabletop exercises because they felt like I was honest with the data, like with knowledge from everything that I had seen in the past and just handing it off to them to be like, you know, let's, let's learn from this and get better together was very rewarding and it was mutual. So I'd learned to really love them. I think they're great. Have you ever been asked to create a ridiculous scenario? Something where you thought it was ridiculous, but the business said, no, we really have to practice for this. No, I don't think so. But I've always like wanted to, I use this example of like when um, I talk about threat hunting and when I released like the, the threat hunting framework last year, like one of the things that spawned that was I was on this like call, right? And there was, we were doing, I was doing some presentation on, on threat hunting and, and something like this conference call is like 45 different threat hunting teams and they're arguing about what is or isn't threat hunting, right? And everyone had like really, really strong opinions on what wasn't or what was um, threat hunting. And then we got into the weeds and then uh, I took come up, uh, came out of that thinking like, like, does it really matter? Like, does it really matter? Like it should be an individual decision of what that means. What really matters is effectiveness, right? And like, that's what really at the end of the day. And so I'd use the example as like, you know, I was talking to another client telling the same story and then he, he was still like dead fast. Like first thing we need to do is buy EDR. We, we can't do threat hunting without ED, like we have to do it. And I was like, okay, I get what you're saying and I, I understand why you're saying it, but I was like, what if the biggest threat to your organization is ninjas and you don't know that maybe no one cares about you from a cybersecurity point of view. Maybe there's a clan of ninjas that is the biggest threat to your company being able to complete their mission. 
do you still need EDR, right? And then that was like the light bulb kind of moment to be like, well, maybe I really need to rethink about what are actually the risks and threats that ap- apply to my organization. And right. then I'll try to solution something. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a great way to go about it. And, um, but yeah, so I started drafting up this situation where there was like ninjas that were going to break into all the organization. <laughs> we should option that, by the way. We should option the movie Ninja Fish as opposed to Swordfish. We should totally do that. Yeah. <laughs> right. But you're right. I mean, Sam's going to retribution and be like, we're going to get it. Yeah, we're going to get it so accurate. Right. Down to the we're bit. the right turns. Yeah. Nah, I'm going to nerd out on that. Uh, but yeah. the, uh, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, if you're not going back to the risks, why would the business trust us? We're just mm-hmm. somebody who's trying to like, I got a thing I want to do. I'm obsessed. I have to do it. Why? Because I have to do it. But the business doesn't talk to us. So if we're not talking risk to them, what is the language? Right? right. It has to be, I think. It has to be dollars. I mean, it, let's be honest. People get into business to make money in America. That's tangible. And to avoid losses. People will pay you to take risk and to take But that's a, a that factor kind of, of money. Yeah. Avoiding yeah. losses. All, I agree with you. It is. But it's not all the same aspect of money. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm yeah, with yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. Sam, I got a question for you. You you talk to probably more executives outside of cyber than I do. And I feel like 2023, I keep on referring it to as like the revenge of the revenge of the CFO. Right. And (laughs) um, like, I, I, it just gets, I get this feeling that, you know, spent like that blank check that was for cybersecurity that was happening in the previous four or five years is no longer there. And are you, are you, when you talk to executives outside of security, are they asking those questions about, well, what is the risk of it? And then break that down into, like, can you quantify that risk to me before I'm authorizing yeah. spending? Well, there's a few things in motion. One is that the SEC has talked about putting pressure on boards to have cyber talent, but I don't think it's going to be dedicated talent. I don't think they're going to start hiring like cyber people. They'll hire people that do other things, but have a smidge of cyber talent, right? And there may be advisory roles for people who are cyber people. Um, the biggest problem in cyber, as far as I can see, I hate cyber, but it's the term we use, right? But InfoSec yeah. is the gap between the security departments and the business. We still don't speak the same language. We just don't. Right. I mean, if the only the only conversation we're having is with IT, then we're failing. But um, they do talk about risk in the CFO's department. They talk about legal, financial, and operational risk, but they don't use the same language. And one of the things I did at my last gig was talk to the CFO a lot. Like he was probably the person I spoke to the most. He was also really interesting as a person. Russ is a really great guy. And um, he's fascinating, right? And has similar interests to me. And I showed him my risk registry. And we happen to use a similar language now for risk registry among all the different types of risk or right before I left. But that's the exception. Uh, it, it's super rare. Now, the pressure from a regulatory perspective is still going up. Like, for instance, I was talking to some higher ed uh, folks just this week, and they were saying that they now have to deal with GLBA coming into the education space because they're financial institutions, mm-hmm. because they're involved in loans. We've That's also got things right. like the Cyber Resilience Act in Europe, which is going to be like GDPR for cyber. So it's not – we went – when I started in this industry, we didn't call it cyber, but we were one – percent of IT to one and a half percent was going into security. Um, I remember when it eclipsed storage. That was like a huge deal. It passed storage at about eight percent. And it's now I, I haven't looked at the latest analysts, but it's north of 13, 14 percent. That can't continue, by the way. 
yeah. it has to at some point level out yeah. and drop as parts of it commoditize. But until we actually beat the bad guys, it, it then regulations are going to increase, pressure is going to increase, and people are going to hate it. Nobody wants to be spending what Jacob said, our precious money on that tax. So the 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 more we the more we align to what the business actually cares about and stop just buying EDR for the sake of EDR mm-hmm. or, you know, let's get the two FAs, you know, or whatever. The more we do that the, and, and show how we're increasing flexibility or embracing new stuff. And until we show that this actually matters for missing, like why it matters to keep the dollars back in the, in the building, they're going to hate us even more. But to answer your question, I don't see it getting any lighter but I do see it getting more contentious, which means I see yeah. pressure on CISOs going up and burnout and turnover. Because so, as soon as a new g- general counsel comes in or a CFO, yeah. you have to prove yourself all over again. Most of the CISOs mm-hmm. I know, they lose their job either after a breach or when their peers and other departments come in and go, what the hell are you doing? Like, why so are you, you spending all they, this money on X? Right. You don't think the spend is going to go down? Because from my perspective and people <laughs> from a business leadership perspective in, in sales and folks I've talked to across the board, multiple organizations, all are saying every purchase the CFO is reviewing for cyber. Right? Oh, yeah. And if you I, can't I, tie back to exactly why this matters, you're not getting any purchase orders through. Well, put it this way. Your business might have to. Your industry might have to. But overall... Right no more than anything else is going to go down. So pre- relatively speaking, Oh, I see what you're you know, saying. Yeah. yeah. Oh, like yeah, yeah. All, okay. The no, boat yeah, will fair. rise and fall like everything else based on macro conditions. But look, when, when we were cutting spending at the last company that you and I both worked at, Jacob, mm. cyber had the least impacted department. It did. Yes. Yeah. Um, right. In other words, it, it's not recession proof, but it's more resilient than most budgets. Uh, you simply can't not do it. Now, take a look at Twitter, right? So in comes Elon, and he says, firing a bunch of you, and then a bunch of people quit. And, oh, look, there's no security department, even though it's mandated. Class action lawsuit. That's going to be painful. You can do it, but it's not comfortable, I have to imagine. He also purposely flies in the face of regulation to see where they'll land. He does it. And you can do that for a lot of billions. You can do that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Facebook's doing it right. Again, this is opinion, I'll say. Facebook is doing it with GDPR constantly. If you look at the violations, they have top five. Meta or Facebook has top five. It's just a cost of doing business now. It reminds me of like my buddy who, uh, he just like... He, he has no concern in, for parking tickets. So he's like, that's not a fine. He's, the he's like, that's just what yeah, it costs yeah. to park there. Yeah. He's like, I, that's what it costs to park it's there. Cheap, and he it's just cheaper than parking, right? It's yeah. always like, oh my God, why have I not thought of that before? <laughs> he's like, yeah, I just pay the parking tickets, whatever, whatever it costs to park there. It's probably very similar, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a Seinfeld episode with called, I think it's called the Scofflaw, where like they're trying to find this, this guy that just, it's like the, it's the Moby Dick white whale, like the parking guys trying to find this one person with all the tickets. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. yeah that's exactly that what episode. happens, by the way. It's why fines go up. What's that? I don't think I've seen that episode. 
I, you'll always say that people, I bet Jacob, you you say, I haven't seen that episode. Then you watch it in 10 minutes and you're like, oh yeah. You're to be fair, I can't yeah. remember most of anything in life at any given moment. Which is so, great. Yeah. Everything's fresh. Everyone's right? always, everyone's <laughs> already seen every episode of Seinfeld, whether they know it or not. Everyone's yeah, yeah, seen yeah. every episode. Right. All right. Spending, let's transition. Let's, oh, let's yeah, talk about, let's talk about hobbies and stuff. Yeah. We we're, should we're talk about things. So how about anything that's not cyber? Yeah. What do you like to anything do outside of the office? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, you can tie it back if you want. We're not going to stop you. But you're like, if you're like, I go home and I like like to build systems. Yeah, I do not touch a computer. Once I'm done working, I do not touch a computer. No. So what, I, what do you so, do? I so much don't touch a computer. Like, I pay for all of my media. Like, I don't do Plex or anything anymore. Like, I, yeah. I'm i total just buy the app and pay the scripts. Like, I just don't do anything tech outside of it. So what do I do? So I got two little kids, so they take up a lot of my time. How, how old are um, they? Yeah, how old? Three and six. Also, oh, yeah, mine are six and ten. So, yeah, you're at a great age with them. A lot of soccer and swimming practices and, and all of that, uh, which is great. You know, that's yeah very fulfilling part of my life. And then um, I still play soccer. Like I um, – Pick up leaves? Yes, this is a great story. So okay, yeah. so the first time I, 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 I when I moved to Pittsburgh, my buddy from college, because I played soccer in college, and one of my teammates got me on this Thursday night men's league team. It's just old guys, thirty five and over. I was like, perfect. You like, can hear the no knees cracking. Fights, yeah. No fights yeah. or anything. Everyone there's <laughs> just having a good time. So games are Thursday evenings, and so play the first game. Played really well. I thought I crushed it go home right after the game and my buddy texted me he's like dude everyone's really pissed and i was like what he's like what did you what i thought i played great you know i had a couple goals assists that was like great night and he's like no he's like you can't be going home right after the game because if everyone else's wives find out that they can be home at 10 30 and everyone else rolls in at 2 a.m then that's going to be a real problem so then i showed up to the next game i brought 230 racks I was like, I get it now. And so it's a great, great league. So it's my, that's like my Thursday nights. Um, and I have a great group of friends from like the gym and stuff like that, that I hang out with. Um, yeah. When, so when we, there's time. I used to play, I used to play rugby years ago. I, soccer I did as a kid, but in rugby, there were three competitions whenever we played, right? There was the game, but you could lose the game and you could win the, the day, right? The second competition was, well, I'll say it, it was drinking, right? It was like, yeah, you would see which team drank more. Right. And then the third one was singing. And I know that sounds weird, but when you're drinking and you just meet each other up on the field and you know a bunch of songs, then you can have a drink a singing competition. So every team had a bard back in those days. So somebody who knew all the songs and right. you just go back and forth until you ran out of them. And it was fun. A lot of fun. Rugby. Yeah. The rugby. I, I remember the, the rugby, there was like rugby club teams at my school. And they took. It was basically like drinking clubs, and I was like, "That they got it figured out." That's what they are. Was, yeah, 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 they got it figured out. I My mean, grandfather. It should be varsity. Hmm. Um, when he when he passed away, we got all of his stuff right, and um, he went he went to uh, Princeton, and they had uh, outside of the fraternities, they had these things called like the social clubs. Yep. And I got one of these jackets, big orange jacket, and it's made it's canvas. And I was like, well, I was asking my grandma, I was like, well, why are these jackets like so thick? Like, and he was like, and she told me that whenever they would have dinner, they would be drinking so much beer and they'd be like splaying beer all over, all over themselves. And they wore these like canvas jackets to keep their underclothes dry 
so they didn't get soaked in beer. So I got that. That's amazing. Why don't we do that? How did we lose this this wisdom? Social social clubs still exist. I'm part of one. I recently joined one. So as an adult, you you can join. You need a giant canvas jacket. (laughs) I I don't know. I did get in trouble for rolling up my sleeves when I went to the social club. So it's serious business. Wow. You need to make it less serious and get some beer drinking jackets but they're they're a bit uh what's the what's the right phrasing for this the political correct um stuck in their ways is that the best way yeah. you can put it right mm. the, traditional people traditional traditional that's, traditional. Right. that's what i yeah. said those whatever i said before to scratch that's traditional they're helping to prevent burnout with traditional well values they're helping to prevent people like me who arguably prefer hoodies and shorts to yeah to a suit jacket you have to get dressed up to go you do. Yeah, you do. Wow. You have to wear a suit jacket. You got to have loafers or whatever they say. That's loafers. probably wow. nice post-COVID to like it, have a reason to go and get dressed like an adult. It's, it's the only reason I'm part of it. And it's other people across all business disciplines go, right? Really, it's a business club. Um, so you just run into people that are insurance brokers or lawyers or whatever it is. And you get more stories that are outside your discipline, which I, I find Nice. It's yeah. sort of like a higher brow version of Rotary Club, is that what you're saying? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You'll have to join me sometime, Sam. You can come out. We'll I would dinner. love to. I, I, I'll have to see if I can find a jacket. John, you're always invited, of course. But yes. It's a haul for you. <laughs> well, I'm in Boston all the time, so, you know. Just for work, or do you come up for Yeah. Well, yeah. The, like the cyber range. Did you guys ever go over there? No, you never Which invited us. Cambridge? The state one, or? The, uh, the oh, IBM yeah, the IBM security. One. Yeah, I, I have a lot of Cambridge. friends who have been through there, but I've never been to visit, no. Oh, I'd love to. yeah, it's sick. We should have we should set something up there next That'd time. That'd be I'm awesome. Just yeah. come mm-hmm. and hang yeah, out. Yeah, I would love, absolutely. Let's do, a, let's do a live podcast recording with you. We, we could, could do that at the Cyber Range. At the Cyber Range, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a camera. We'll walk around with it and that sort of thing. And... Yeah, so outside of work, I, yeah, I don't know. I play music. I still oh, do that. Well, instruments or yeah, music, so I, music, what does it mean? I So before, like, I had dreams of when I was a dirty undergrad of becoming a yeah. musician for real, right? Like I Not was showering, gonna, playing guitar. I was going to just, what's the instrument? you know. What's the, uh, what do you play? Guitar and piano, um, mostly guitar. Um, played a lot of coffee shops around oh, the, really? a lot of, a lot of pubs around the Northern West Virginia panhandle. Uh, so you really were into 2000s. it. Yeah, actually, I, I, you, you I gave tried. it a shot. Yeah. I gave it a shot. Yeah. Turns out that, and this is a great, I don't know if you guys ever seen that uh, show, uh, Treme on HBO. No, give us the premise. It's about, uh, so it's from the makers of The Wire. They do basically an, it's post-Katrina um, mm-hmm. show in New Orleans. And um, it's fantastic. I loved it. But they the have- recommendation a, for the audience? Yes. I love that show. It's HBO. Uh, HBO Max, still watch and, it. And it's, um, is it fictional or is it nonfiction about the people after Katrina? It's fictional. Mm. Or is it based on fiction? There's a, it's based on real yeah, it's ba- things, yeah. Based on real life events Drama. with, yeah, 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 for sure. The uh, But one of the characters in there is a struggling artist, musician person going in there and this older, wiser musician that says, you know, like, the world is full of good players, right? And why is songwriting so hard? And it was like, the, those are the, 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 that's the, the part that's really hard. Those are the 1% of the 1%ers, 1%ers, and players you can find everywhere, mm. right? And I realize that. Because, you know, like you can be really, there's always going to be someone who's better than you at the instrument, but creating something 
new and fresh is is like the the real kind of talent and insanely so difficult. I, I, I should yeah. mention something because we one of the things we want to do on the podcast is talk about things happening in the news and stuff. And and oh, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm a I support a guy named Dan Meisler. I don't know if you guys know him uh, through no. Patreon. Uh, hi, a shout out to Dan because he's awesome. He's like he's I don't know him personally, um, although we're connected. Um, but I, I feel like he's a brother by another mother. Like he reads things I like. He talks about subjects I'm interested in. And he just wrote about ChatGPT's impact on society or rather what's going to come next. And part of it yeah. was he's actually predicting an explosion in creativity. And mm. the reason for that is he talked about exactly what you just said, that 1% of 1% of 1% that can be seen, even though there's perhaps millions of people who are very brilliant and artistic but they just don't yeah. know the people and aren't in Hollywood or aren't connected to someone. The, the explosion in in the what generative language models and AI are going to do is make a lot of that easier to get to audiences and to be found. And so musicians and writers and people who are brilliant in other ways are suddenly going to have an explosion in creativity and be found. I highly recommend reading it. If you go look at it, his name is Dan Meisler, but mm. he's a thinker about it's what's really happening take. and where is it yeah. going. He had a lot of other predictions, but you just sparked that one. And I thought, hey, I was just reading about it. And I just myself recorded something on security and generative language models specifically. But his insight there, I thought, I'm still noodling it a bit, is really interesting. And I'm not doing justice I, to the argument. It's worth reading. It's a thought that has bounced around in my head so many times. Is like, is it harder or easier now to be discovered if you are some sort of artist like i obviously i think of musicians right but and and was it mm. in the 80s 90s early 2000s before social media did you have to be so good that you would get discovered or did someone make you so listen if you versus listen to the taylor swift story on this yeah they, she spent so much of her time as a child forcing her parents to move to a to Tennessee, forcing them to like go out to studios, forcing. So for her, she kind of got the marketing from the beginning. And mm. so everyone says she's the best, the best, most talented. But from the beginning, she went and forced herself into the industry. So sorry, you, yeah, you were finishing a thought though, John. Well, I was just going to say is with things like Instagram and TikTok and things like that, like you, anyone, anywhere can get an audience. And right. if you gain enough of a following, you're probably going to get a deal somewhere and you can, then you'll be made. And I wondered, but then because there's so many people out there now, do you get lost in the sea of TikToks and Instagrams of talent versus being able to stand out? And I wondered, and I, and I don't know the answer if it's easier or harder now. Well, I, well, I, I keep thinking like, let's, let's jump to cyber and then we'll jump back to this. So mm -hmm. in the world of cybersecurity, if you start using things like chat GPT to guide defense, you'll become very predictable. And therefore, mm -hmm. attackers will find ways around you quite easily, which means you you, you sure. still need you still need initiative and to be breaking away from where most people are going in order to be able to find the attacker and probably on offense too. And then that makes yeah. me think, so you've got things like auto-tune in the music industry and you've got like where the audience goes. I suspect that what ChatGPT will, will help us find the unique to some degree or its mm -hmm. derivatives, right? And its par and, and parallel offerings will say, find me the special, find me the difference. So as long as people are intelligently seeking out good quality art, as opposed to just harmony and melody that, that, that is what they're used to getting, then 
if anybody is truly doing something artistically different or or something that is truly standing out and has merit, right. then the chances of it being found, I think, will go up. In other words, mm-hmm. if you produce good signal against the noise, your chance of the signal being found won't, will mean you don't have to be in Tennessee in specific you know areas and going to specific clubs. I think. I could be off, but I'm hoping that's the case. I, I mean, the baseline... Then again, we could just have right. AI overlords and we'll see, you know, like... I, I'm looking forward to it for one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want myself... I just... We just got to figure out self-driving cars. You know what? Honestly, a tangential story again, but in grad school, I wrote this paper about how self-driving cars were going... How much impact they would have to the real estate market about, like, if everyone... Oh. If you had a self-driving car... Then you right. could work for two hours on your way or sleep. to the office. I like sleep. Or sleep, take your, take your <laughs> meetings, and then have your meetings and then leave. And then you just work in transit, and now you can live three hours away from the office, right? So there's no need to be around a city center because – And you could go faster. Car, and right? you were because right. The cars, the cars yeah. can have a – they'd be less stuck in traffic and higher – Yeah, because you can be closer together, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you're increasing throughput because all the cars are talking to each other. It's like, I need to get off here, and then they all adjust and make a move. And But, I mean, COVID, I feel like, proved me to be right. Yeah. Was that, did. you know, once we all teleworked, people started moving out of the cities – and you know going into the exoburbs or whatever they're called right now and now we have what are, what are organizations do they like people that i don't know what they're going to do like they have all this real estate and they don't know they what they're going to do they force people to come back i guess they're trying i, I mean it's backdoor yeah. backdoor backroom conversations that don't get surfaced very often but I'm a weirdo and would go back. I it's, I'm actually work out of my friend's real estate office because I can't work from home anymore. That's ironic like, that he has to yeah. let you use the real estate space. Yeah. Estate, you know. <laughs> that is a, I'm like all set from work from home. I just want to be uh, around the people. But here in Boston, Tuesdays and Thursdays are, are atrocious for traffic because that's when everybody yeah. has to go in. And, uh, and yeah. if, you go in, if you go in, Mondays are okay. But if you go in Wednesday, if you go in Friday, clear sailing. It's just phew. Got to know the patterns. Yeah, so I guess I don't know what the organization is going to do, but uh, those leases still got to get paid, right? And if there's no mm. one in there, then... And if they don't get paid, then there's a cascade effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is going to happen? What? I wonder, like, they're going to... Every... There's going to be case study... At the, I, like, we're living history right now about, mm-hmm. like, all of the interesting impacts of what the pandemic did for the next five to ten years of, like, how it's going to impact real estate and population growth and how many – how many are we going to have an explosion of doctors because kids, young kids, lived through the pandemic and became super interested in medical sciences um, when they were – and that, like, sparked their passion and they're ever going to go to med school. I don't know. Hopefully, that'd be cool. But this whole, really, this whole thing's an ancestor simulation anyway. We just got to figure out what they're <laughs> testing with it, right? It's uh, is 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 yeah. this the impact of COVID on society, or you know, high inflation, or a war in the Ukraine? Who knows? But you know. well, it, when you have everything happen at once, it's really hard to break down what the micro causes yeah. of the outputs are because there's so many inputs into the system right now. You can't determine what the outputs are, mm-hmm. just like ChatGPT, right? That's right. Bring it all around. I think I think it's all about right AI anyway, so we'll see. We're gonna get back there. Everything goes back to Chat GPT. If nothing, uh, learned nothing else in 2023 is that everything goes back to Chat GPT. Yeah, I mean, it, it exploded on the scene. Just the growth of it was insanity. 
but yeah, and, and the capabilities are growing. Almost everyone I talk to who who's in a in a knowledge worker industry is saying, "I'm trying to figure out how to deal with it," right? Especially code writing. I think it's amazing. I think it's great. Yeah. I was I a too. hater at first. I was a hater at first. I was like, "Just doing stupid," and then I used it, and I was like. Oh, this is like my personal Googler for me. I'm like, if I wanted to grab a snippet and be like, hey, well, if I was going to, you know, I have trouble retaining basically anything, right? So I have Googled the same thing on Stack Overflow for yes. like writing a particular thing in Python uh, probably 150 times in my life. And now I just go to ChatGPT and I was like, hey, can you write me this one function? And it will get 85% of it right. And then by the time I have it, oh, I can figure that out. And I'm like, this is great. It's like my, this is what Google Assistant should be. You have to I, know I, enough about what you're asking it about to know mm -hmm. when it's right and wrong. So it saves you from efficiency, yeah. in my opinion. You have to validate its outputs though. And so that's why I don't think it's extremely disruptive. I think it, say you could do the work of maybe three employees with one, yeah. potentially in certain areas. And, high, and higher quality too. Ooh, I yeah. wonder if we're going to have software flaw bias because of ChatGPT because engineers Ooh. are using it and then All everyone's the going to have the same vulnerabilities. <laughs> yes. And will we have poisoning by opponents? Will people yeah. start to put code out there? I 100% has... think so. Yeah. That algorithm's real quick. Yeah. I don't know if you, Sam, are you on Instagram? Yeah. You are? I have. So yeah, you I guys know. Like you have to curate that. Yeah. That you got to curate that algo because as soon as you around. accidentally click click on something else, then you're suddenly served like a million. Po and I'm like, I don't want that. And you have to go back and you have to like retrain the engine to be like, no, I'm serious. It's always this something stupid too that you click on. You're like, all right, yeah. I'll watch this one stupid video once. Yeah. Yeah. Just shaming me. <laughs> yes. I watched that cat video. Now yeah. don't leave me alone. And then <laughs> my wife looks at me and goes, you watch that? Like, yeah. why is it serving that? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Well, we've done almost an hour. Does this feel like uh, a natural? Yeah. It feel, this feels, feels natural like to me. This feels yeah. like I don't know what you guys do outside of work, and now I want to know. Well, right. We well, don't. We'll I'm not allowed out of the room on. here. It's uh, it's really rough. No, I'm, no, I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> I actually teach. I think I mentioned that. Like I, yeah. I, I found it quite recently. So I teach uh, cyber terrorism, and I teach um, cyber, for, especially for MBAs, and so I teach at a technical school and at a business school. Um, I like, I like to tabletop game with my friends and during, during COVID, I started to find my old high school friends and college friends cause we all started to do it on zoom. So figuring out time zones became a problem. Like I have friends in Europe and friends in California yeah. and Canada, which is just a wasteland. I'm joking for any Canadians out there. I am, but Hey, I'm Canadian, but like finding all these, all these people and reconnecting was a big thing too. That's awesome. And you, Jacob? Yeah, I collect hobbies. So I, I think it's... You collect hobbies, like I collect hobbies. My hobbies collecting nice. hobbies. I, I, yeah, I do a little bit of everything outside of work. I, I think the the learning of something is what really excites me more than the repetitive doing of things, which um, makes mm. a lot of sense for the way I am, right? So I, I mean, I, I do a little bit of music. I cook. I have a garden. I hike a lot. I try to get outside and ski. I'll exercise sometimes. Um, I've done art of any type. I've tried to learn different art forms just to do it, right? And it's fun. It's exciting. And I think um, developing You're a renaissance skills. man. That's what you are. What's that? Yeah. yeah so renaissance, You're a renaissance man. I'll take man. that. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. I like it. So yeah, I mean, in the winter, it's pretty standard for me because I like skiing so much. It's like adrenaline yeah. drives me. Um, it's a miracle I've lived this long, to be, to be <laughs> fair. And it's probably a longer story from other podcasts of how much I'll reveal of how close to death I've come. 
But um, yeah, yeah that same thing has happened to me. I, I I've had near death experiences far so often. Is it just that all humans have near death experiences? So some of us make it through the filter by chance, or do some of us engage in higher risk activities and we just happen to make it through? Right? I, maybe I don't know. I mean, obviously, the longer you live, the more what the more experiences you have. I don't know. I mean, I I I wouldn't say that I've had a ton of them. I've had like one really scary one, but then. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I've I, had, I had that a, many. I had a woman I used to work with. So, so I was struck by lightning in the eighties, which wow. was rough. So you really shouldn't yeah. be here, Sam, is what you're saying. I really shouldn't. I also had a head on collision and broke my neck once and I had a motorcycle accident. Like I've had a lot of, and that's just yeah. the start, but I had this woman I used to work with named Janet in the nineties and, and I used to drive in Canada with rear wheel drive and it was like a Buick, 1972 Buick Skylark, right? Which is just stupid. Oh yeah. And it was like the rear wheels would just spin out all the time. And half the time, so I used to take this road called the Queen's Way to work. And half the time she said in the winter, I would see you in the median strip or spun off like, and she said to me, my husband, Fred and I have been talking and we're, we are convinced there's a deity of cosmic proportions out to kill you. But there's one just a little bigger out to save your ass every time something happens. And she, she said, because like something crazy yeah. happens to you and then something really cool happens that just saves you at the last minute. And that's been pretty true. But I don't know why. Um, I'm going to stick to the ancestor simulation. Would you say that you've engaged in risky behaviors, Sam? That no, have I'm led to these or are these just like incidental? Are a doctor? Is this I, a- I like hide in the hotel room on business trips. Like don't come near me. And, yeah. uh, you know, and I like, I, I avoid that risky stuff and yet it happens anyway. Wow. Mm. Final destination. So the point of this podcast is live yeah. your life because even if you avoid it, you might almost die. <laughs> yeah. Live it, live it to the max, man. Live, live yeah. it to the max. The nine lives of cyber. Nine lives of cyber. How many of you used up? Do you have a tally board? Do you have a whiteboard behind you? No, because that will jinx it, and that will be my last <laughs> one right there. I just want to know how long are we going to be able to run this for before you you hit nine? Cool. All right. All well, right. John, you know a little bit about us now, and so we'll have to. Wow, I'm great. We'll have to. John, chat thank more you for being this. part of this. It's been. It's I been definitely want to do right. the cyber range one. We should definitely do that. I'm inviting myself onto the show again. So next time, you, do, next time you come up and have the time, because I know sometimes these are short trips. But next time you come up and, ha- and have the time, let us know. Yeah. Um, I think I'm the closest to the cyber range. Um, Jacob, I think you're a little bit further out. But we can an hour. Yeah, I'm like yeah, half man. an hour away. So we'll definitely meet you there. That'd be awesome. Yeah, we should definitely do that. All right. Until the next one, John. We really appreciate having you. Yeah, it's great. This was great. Cool. This is really great. I appreciate you guys having me on. Bye.